Welcome into the show. Thanks for tuning in. It is Daniel Werman coming to you live from the Dream Imagine Sports Studios. It is 8 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 5 a.m. super early wake-up call out west. All time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in this Friday, September the 13th. Full moon. If your kids are going crazy today, you know the culprit. If you start to see parents just running in the streets, you'll know why. Uh, welcome into the show. Um, if, if you if you don't understand why it's such a big deal, Friday, September the 13th, being a Friday the 13th with kids, try being married to a school teacher. Um the the it is the it is the talk of the uh of the teachers lounge um how crazy are the kids going to be on a friday the 13th so um hopefully hopefully y- you have a uh, a great day without any uh, anything crazy happening but if you're married to a teacher like i am uh and your and your and your wife comes home with uh, a crazy day just be ready right <laughs> just be Ready. You never know what's going to happen. So, um, look, had a great show yesterday with Chris Kessel. Uh, really appreciate him uh, coming on and uh, talking a little bit about scholastic soccer. Um, it is it is not a topic we've gotten into a lot here on the show or in our in, in our uh, short form podcast series that uh, really was the the pre runner to the show Soccer Works. Um, Neither neither uh, show has really featured scholastic soccer. We've talked a little college soccer, but not really high school soccer. Um, and so that uh, that was a that was a good chat yesterday. Just looking at you know what uh, what are things that that are going on, and also like what are possibilities uh, with the sport. So uh, yesterday uh, on Twitter, um, I. I had gotten a comment and uh, the comment was basically comparing a little bit of club soccer uh, with high school soccer. And, uh, and, and so I just, I, I, I want to go back and revisit that uh, for, for a quick second, because um, I think, I think it's actually a good point to, um, to look at, which is, uh, this is Chad Smith 71 at Chad Smith 71. Hey, Chad, how are you? Uh, this Friday the 13th. Uh, he said, I'm actually excited about high school soccer. My kids get plenty of technical and tactical training with his club, referring to his kids club, Barca Academy Austin. But what BAA neglects in parentheses, mostly running and weight training he gets from his high school coaches, plus the social aspect and playing with kids from other clubs. He went on to say in a subsequent tweet, I realize that's somewhat tangential and many kids only have school soccer as an option, but I still think the blend of club plus high school will be good and complimentary. This is picking up on the conversation that Chris and I were having yesterday about scholastic soccer. And, um, and the point that I made back to him is a point that we were, that, that at least I was trying to make yesterday. uh, And I think, Um, I think Chris would agree with this is that there are definitely aspects. This is a tweet that I replied to him. There are definitely aspects scholastic and club soccer could borrow from each other. Um, The point being that uh, there are things about both um, before we get into some other things here on the show, I want to kind of pick back up on this topic there are things about both types of, of offerings that I think would benefit the other if they were to learn from one another. So, for example, if, um, if we're talking about supporters, if we're talking about camaraderie, community, you're more likely to get that sense of a feeling or have that experience with a scholastic sport or a scholastic soccer experience more so than a private club. 
So how do you begin, you know, for learning from each other? If I am in a soccer club, how do I begin to foster that? So these are the questions that the leadership of the clubs need to start to ask themselves. What is the draw? What are the things that the kids experience with scholastic soccer that they're not getting with us? Why, why are we seeing, you know, scholastic soccer grow at a time when U.S. soccer registrations are down by nearly a half a million kids? See, these are the questions and the types of questions that we need to be asking of ourselves. And, and those who are in charge need to be asking uh, of themselves and each other, which is, what are we doing? What are we doing that, um, that, we're, that, we're, that is preventing growth? If I'm in a club, what am I doing that's keeping kids away? What am I doing that's not fostering that same level of community, that same level of camaraderie, that same level of support? Why are parents and our friends willing to come out and watch a soccer match if I'm wearing my school uniform versus if I'm wearing my club uniform? What is the difference? What, what are we missing? What are we lacking? John Townsend uh, replied uh, just a moment ago, actually, and said, Scholastic soccer does something that club soccer has lost, which is center the attention of the competition on the community aspect. Representing one's community with pride through sport is rare now with all of the showcases in obscure places with club ball. I think that's a great point. And that kind of picks up right where, um, where we where we are in this conversation. The focus of the the scholastic experience is about community. It's about representing your community. When I talk to clubs and 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 you know, have these conversations about how do you, how do you do what you do better? Don't worry about getting bigger. How can you do what you do better? One of the conversations I have with clubs is you, if you really want to grow, if you really want to, to take your club from where you are today and, and kind of go to another level, then I think one of the things that you've got to, you've got to look at is this, how can we be in the community how can we be with the community and how can we be for the community? Now, in, in all three cases, in, if we're going to be for, if we're going to be with, it's about, it's about a, an outward look. It's about putting down deep roots. It's about doing for others. One of the problems and we touched on this kind of at the very end yesterday with Chris. One of the problems is that clubs are too often asking from parents rather than providing value for parents. And if we if we go along with that same train of thought, then let's play that out with our communities. If our communities are not showing up to our events, if we run a first team and 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 only a tiny tiny fraction of our community is there, even if we're in a city, you know, of of a million people or two million people, and, and we're managing to get five thousand people there, and you're patting yourself on the back, I'm looking at the one to two million. What are we doing not to connect with our entire city? How can we be better at being in the city, being for the city, being with the city so that the city feels part of us and we feel part of them? Now, this comes natural in a scholastic environment. This comes natural for kids in a high school. But, but we can learn from that and adopt some of those same aspects 
and figure out how we can be in our communities for our communities and with our communities, rather than always asking, what can we get from our communities? And this is the, this is the part where clubs have got to start to get better. When you're always coming from a posture of being from getting from a community if you're always looking at what you can get, so we're going to do this, but we want something from you. We're going to do this training. It's going to, it's, we need something from you. We're going to do, you know, street soccer, but we, we want $5 from you. If everything that you do is a from, 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 then a couple things happen. Number one, every relationship you have has now been classified as a transactional relationship. Now, that may be good for you in the short term. You may get revenue off of that in the short term, but there's a problem inherent with transactional relationships. They're not very deep. So if someone comes along with a better offer and they don't have loyalty to you, they don't have brand loyalty to you, they don't have club loyalty to you because their relationship to you is purely transactional and another organization comes along with a better offer, they're gone. So if every one of your relationships are built on transactions, everything we do, we want something from you so that a family always feels like if I'm going to do it, I've got to fork out money. I've always got, it's always something from me. I don't feel like I'm getting ever getting service from you. I'm always paying for something. If it's always that mentality and it's it, it, then then your relationships are going to be transactional. They're not going to be very deep and you are going to be exposed to losing people. Now you're going to lose them in t- in two ways. One is what I just talked about. If if another organization comes along and this goes for business, this, this is not just about soccer clubs. But we're talking about soccer clubs right now. It, if you're going to be in this business of being a soccer club, if another organization comes along and all of or most of your relationships are built on being transactional relationships and not brand loyalty, they're, they're not club loyalty relationships, they're not deep relationships, if someone comes along with a better offer, they're gone. That's one way you're going to lose them. Another way you're going to lose them is burnout. And when I, when I say burnout, I'm not talking about what sports psychologists and others talk about and about kids getting frustrated with the sport and quitting and giving up because of, you know, X, Y, and Z. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about with burnout is burnout with your club. So the kids may actually love the sport. The parents may love the sport. They just don't like you. So the burnout is with your club. The burnout is with your organization. And I think this is one of the things that has not been factored, at least from what I've looked at with studies from the Aspen Institute and others, that has not been factored in or baked into the equation, which is how many of these kids, how many of these families are dropping out of the sport from a U.S. soccer registration point but our numbers in scholastic soccer are growing. How many of these families are not actually burnt out with the sport of soccer? Maybe just your version of soccer. Why is it that you may have one, two, three, four X worth of kids that are going to be willing to play soccer. They want to play soccer. They like playing soccer, but at those high school and middle school ages don't play for you what's going on why is it that they are not sticking around so 
part of that is is being in the community for the community and with the community and we are going to pick up with uh with that conversation uh when we get back after this break but before we go to this break i would just want to tell you about ducktick brand d-u-k-t-i-g brand.com use promo code dw show to get 10 percent off your order and when you do you will whatever you order you're going to be happy with why do i know that because they make amazing products they are really good at what they do they even do personalization yes that's right you can get your club and and your organization uh and do personalization with their products their journals their notebooks uh and other things so reach out to them um and, and check out their products at ductickbrand.com and use promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off of your order. Thanks for tuning in this Friday the 13th, a crazy day. Thanks for tuning in, and we will be right back after this. Into the show this Friday the 13th. Thanks for tuning in. Didn't really plan on uh, running down this road today uh, after we talked yesterday about scholastic soccer with Chris Kessel, but um, just a lot of things uh, looking at uh, some things where we left off and some of the comments that I'd read online, and it just kind of reminded me of some aspects that we really could use uh, some more time digging into. And before we went to break, we were talking about being in your community for your community with your community. And, um, and, and that is such a key component to building deep relationships. Deep relationships are relationships that last. Uh, They're relationships that provide much more value to you as you do to them over a course of, of a longer period of time. And in the end, uh, if you play the long game, and Gary Vaynerchuk uh, talks about this quite a bit, if you play the long game, the lifetime value of a, a, a lifetime client uh, with a brand loyalty relationship is going to be so much greater than always looking to get the next sell off of one person. It's kind of a one-off, or maybe I get two or three or four transactions, and then they're gone. And when we look at, you know, what typically happens in American youth soccer is a family will come in, if they live in the area, they'll come to your club, and they'll play. They may play for a few years. Their kids may graduate. Your program, they may not even graduate your program. They may play for a few years and then quit because they're, they don't like 
how high the prices are or they don't like the way some things are done, what have you. And so their kids start playing scholastic soccer and, uh, you know, they're still attached to the game. They just don't need you for that anymore. And, and so they, they move on. You may be getting for, you know, a year, one season, three seasons, four years, five years, transactions from that family but what if what if that kid uh and that family became lifetime members of your club like they felt a part of your community and you feel a part of their community and there was a brand loyalty there club loyalty there that goes beyond just you know those two or three years they're playing so rather than maybe getting 500 a thousand 1500 maybe five thousand dollars from them over the course of two three four five years Maybe all of a sudden that relationship becomes a 40-year relationship. What does that look like? Are we talking about in 10 years having, you know, 10,000 members and and we're looking at lifetime values of instead of 5,000, it may be 50,000, maybe it's 10x, maybe it's 100x, who knows? It's going to a lot's going to depend on what's going on and there's so many variables there. But you have people in and around your club. They are connected to your club. Deep relationships instead of transactional relationships. Uh, picking up on that, um, another tweet from John Townsend said, our kids need to know what it means to compete for themselves and for their community. There's something that comes from that development aspect that is lost on club soccer. There's a sense of pride that I see is being filtered out as mega clubs take over. He went on to say another thing scholastic soccer does is attracts non-soccer people to the soccer game. If there's a big rivalry game in football, basketball, etc., it doesn't matter what sport the attendees play, they are going to support the team on the field from their community. Why? This isn't John, I'm saying why. Why is that? Why is it that People are going to, they may not even like the sport. Why are they willing to show up? Because there is a relationship between that individual and that organization that transcends, it transcends transactions. It is not a transactional relationship. There is a brand loyalty, a club loyalty to that organization. And I've seen this time and time again. Time and time again, you will see individuals, grown men who have who, who, who hung up the cleats, whether it was baseball cleats, football cleats, soccer cleats, they hung them up decades ago. And they still give money to their colleges. They still give money to their high schools. They still stick around, sponsor. They show up to events. Their kids aren't playing. Their kids may have already graduated. They're out painting the lines on the fields. They're paying for, for new projects and, and upgrades at, at, at their stadiums. They're passing it on to the next generation. Why do these things happen? Because the relationships go beyond transactions. These are lifetime value relationships. They are deep bonds that have been formed over time. That community aspect we, we so lack in this country it is the essence of what we're missing here in club soccer that you can find in South America. You find this in, in Europe. You go into a club and there's a 70-year-old there's man in the clubhouse drinking a beer, watching a match on TV or watching the, the next generation of youngsters out on the field training. And none of them are his grandkids. He's not some crazy old man. That's his club. 
That's where he goes for community. The club is the community. See, we've been so busy building soccer fields so that we can exact more transactions from our community rather than building spaces that create community. We tell our parents, look, don't meddle with what we're doing. Drop your kids off and don't come in our classrooms. Leave us alone so we can do our work, stay away, and then we complain when they don't want to write us checks. We complain when they get frustrated and walk away. We complain when we have no volunteers to help us. It's because you're not building community. You can say whatever you want to say. You can put out whatever marketing pitch you want to put out. You can, you can put out communications time and time again, talking about how we want to do this for you and we want to do this for you and we want to do this for you. But if all of your actions are saying we're into transactions, like we value you, but we place a number on that value. If you're going to come and do this with us, it's going to cost you. If your kids are going to participate, we want you to stay away. I mean, I get it. Look, I'm not saying that you want your parents running all over your soccer fields while you're trying to run a training session. I do understand that. But if you want them to feel like they are part of what it is you are doing, then you've got to find a better way to integrate them into your program, into your organization. One of the things that is a natural byproduct of this that you see all over Europe from the biggest to the smallest clubs is a clubhouse. It is the epicenter of community for the club. Ajax, biggest club in in the Netherlands, one of the biggest clubs in the world, one of the most famous and historic clubs. They've got a clubhouse. You go in there, it's not just club employees. It's not just parents or players. It's supporters of the club are in there. You go to a a smaller community club. Clubhouse may not be as big, may not be as new, it may not be as nice, but there's a little clubhouse. It may be the size of a pub, But there's a little clubhouse, a space for community, valuing community. One of the other one of the other aspects um, when when we're looking at scholastic soccer is um, is this point from uh, Zach Ward at Unreal Zach Ward. He said the kids love school soccer. They play with and against kids from other clubs. It's also the only youth soccer that gets any publicity. Why is that? Why is it the only place that that gets publicity? Because the essence of that soccer team is community. It matters to the community. It's built on the community. That is the core of scholastic soccer. You're playing for your school, i.e. your community. Your feeder pattern. That's who you represent. You can't just get up and run anywhere else. You have a feeder pattern that you have to go to. Or if you go to a private school, then you've chosen to go to. But those are your people that you represent. It's built in. So it's no wonder that, that it's, it's the only thing that gets publicity. When we look at scholastic soccer and we look for lessons... We can also look at what comes as a result 
of the community, which I was just touching on, which is the involvement of people that may not even necessarily love the sport of soccer, but they love that organization. And so they're willing to support it, sponsorships and other things. And you see this time and time again. These are, these are part of the benefits of a lifetime value of a customer. And I want you to think about this. If a kid comes to you at 9, 10, 11, 12 years old and they play for your soccer club and you charge their parents, and so let's say they pay a thousand bucks. So they pay a thousand bucks for four years and then they're like, okay, we're done. He goes and plays scholastic soccer and he goes away. They paid you $4,000. But if you had a lifetime relationship with them, if they really felt connected to you at a deeper level than a transactional relationship, this community bond in the way that they feel with their school, let's say, let's say you turn four years into eight. And instead of maybe getting the $1,000 a year for four years, maybe you're only getting $400 a year for eight years. Maybe you're only getting $500 or $300, but you're not getting, you're not, you're not charging as much, but you're, you're, you're building a lifetime relationship. They leave school, they grow up and that kid whose parents was paying, they were paying the, you know, four or $500 or the thousand over four years, whatever. But the kid now has a loyalty to your club there. They feel a part of you. They go off to school, they're still part of you. They're still being a member of the club. Maybe they're not paying as high as they were, but maybe they're paying 50 bucks a year to be a member of your club because they feel a part of that. They come back, they start a career, they start building a job. They haven't even had kids yet, but they've got a little bit of money of their own. Now they're supporting your club in the way that these same people are supporting their schools. Lifetime value. What if... In 10 years, 20 years, that person that you built a relationship with is now able to write you a check for $40,000. You got 4000 from them in a transactional relationship, but in one fail swoop, because you built a relationship with them, you have somebody comes up and says, look, I really love what you're doing. Here's forty grand to jumpstart this project. Or to provide scholarships for X amount of kids. Whatever the case may be. Part of the problem with American club soccer is we've just been so focused on the almighty dollar and the transactions of now rather than what we can build over time. Soccer Parenting Association at Soccer Parenting said it is often demonstrative of what's typically lacking in club soccer. Players who feel a strong sense of relatedness to the program and their teammates and therefore are motivated to win and compete and represent their team with a deep sense of pride and solidarity. When we look at scholastic soccer, and I'm not talking necessarily about the quality of what we see on the field. It's not always the best quality of play. It may not be necessarily the best quality of coaching. However, you do get that aspect of like school pride. Where does that pride start? a sense of community, camaraderie, brotherhood, sisterhood. That's where those things begin. That's where those things build. And it's out of that place where you start to, 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 to want to bleed for that jersey. Now, that is the feeling you get when you're playing in a club in South America that is the kind of feeling that you get when you play in Europe. When, when a player scores and you see him grab that badge and they're holding that badge, that's a, that's a deeper relationship than a transaction. That's a bond. 
mean something to them. It matters to them. When's the last time you went to a youth soccer tournament or match and you look out and a kid scores a goal and he's just running to the corner corner flag to celebrate with his teammates and he's just holding that badge like you see on TV, just loving the badge? Very rare, if ever. Why? Because American club soccer has been built on the backs of transactional relationships and not lifetime value, not brand loyalty. How do you get in your community, for your community, with your community? How do you build community? These are questions that that clubs need to begin asking of themselves in relation to high school soccer, middle school soccer. I think some of the, some of the obvious ones, the, the low hanging fruit is is the fees. You can you can play and and it, and it maybe it costs you less money. In some cases, a lot less money to play for your high school. Okay, that was an easy one. But what else? What else is going on? Maybe it's the feeling that people in your community get in relation to your club. And by feeling, what I'm talking about is a feeling of not being welcome. I'm of the belief that your club should be in your community, for your community, with your, with your community. And when I look at what does that mean to be with your community, I think it should look like your community. That's what I mean with being with. Meaning if, if my neighborhoods that are part of my club are, I'm just going to throw out random numbers here. Let's say they're 60% white, 25% African-American and, and, and let's say, you know, 15% Latino. then I feel like my club should be somewhere in that ballpark. Not saying your numbers have to be exact, but I'm saying like you, you show up and you see kids of color. How many times do you go into to see a, a club play and they're in a community that may have 15, 20, 25, 30, 40%, 50% minority and the majority of the kids and the coaches are white? That's not being with your community. A few years ago, I I put together a very small club. I've talked about it a a few times on the show. It was a non-pay-to-play club. And it was all with the idea of trying to get kids into the game in an organized fashion that were not in the game in an organized fashion. Now, we had a few kids that played organized soccer before, but a lot of the kids didn't. And in a squad of 25 kids, we had every continent represented except Antarctica. And we had, we had kids from over 10 countries in a squad of 25. 25. And this is in South Alabama. Don't tell me it's not possible to be with your community. You've just got to put in the work. And putting in that work is how people get the feeling that they are wanted. This is why when when kids show up to play at a school, they may have an easier time feeling wanted because the school, no matter what, is a representation of that feeder pattern. Where whatever those neighborhoods are, they're going to feed into that school. And if that school is 30% African-American and, and, and 40% Latino and 30% white, then when you go to look at, 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 the, at the team and it's very similar, 
it feels like the community and all those kids, they're there. Like that's, that's where they play. That's their community. And I'm not saying it's always rosy and it's always perfect, but what I'm trying to get across is that you have to put in the work. In the case of the schools, the work was put in with boundary lines. In the case of your club, it may be conversations and not boundary lines. It may be rolling up your sleeves and doing work that you don't get paid for, i.e. transactional relationships, and going into trailer parks and into neighborhoods and into other places where kids are not represented in your club and meeting families and meeting parents and showing them that you really care and that you want their kids part of your program. When you begin to do things for your community, that you are with your community by going into your community, guess what you end up with? Community. Deep-rooted relationships. Relationships that can last a lifetime. You can make an impact on kids and their families. And what's also going to happen is they're going to make an impact on you. Our sponsor this half hour is Charity Water. You can learn more about Charity Water at charitywater.org. They provide clean drinking water to people all over the world. They are changing lives in villages all over the place by providing clean drinking water. And you can be a part of that story. I encourage you to go today to charitywater.org to learn more. We'll be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world we know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth and when you can bring water into communities it truly transforms them it changes everything now you could know that you would made a difference you could know that you had truly impacted the lives of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in this Thursday, Friday the 13th. I hope you have a great weekend this weekend. We are talking today, picking up uh, on the conversation we began yesterday. And uh, some days you just come in with one agenda and then you, you run on another tangent. And today is one of those rabbit trails. We are we are down that road of, of scholastic soccer and, and looking at club soccer and kind of picking up on a conversation that began yesterday with Chris Kessel. And, um, and, and part of that conversation is looking at how do you build community? How do you build relationships that go beyond a transactional level? And, uh, one of the things that, that I like to talk about a lot with people is being in your community for your community and with your community. How do you build that relationship that goes deeper, uh, than, than just a transaction? And, um, and so in looking at that, uh, you know, we, we reached out on Twitter and, and, and said, look, if you got any thoughts on this, uh, hit us up and, and you can do that. Uh, just you can find the tweet uh, at Daniel Workman uh, or you can tweet at me at uh, the hashtag DW show as well. What are your thoughts on scholastic soccer? Reply below. That's the tweet. And uh, so we've been going through some of the, the thoughts from, from the audience, uh, people that ha- have had some ideas on this. And I think um, that, that it's important 
to learn. And that was the point of this, this conversation today and, and looking at this. It's important to learn aspects of what can, what can scholastic soccer do better? What can club soccer do better? And, and how are the two environments? They're different, but they're different in different ways and different strengths. Uh, and uh, Andy uh, comfortably mid table at one dishwasher, um, said big positives for scholastic soccer. Number one, kids remember their kids love playing with their friends and two motivates kids to keep up their grades or lose eligibility. Big negatives schedules too compressed. And secondly, inconsistent quality of coaching. Absolutely spot on. Great, great summary there from um, at one dishwasher. The uh, another comment very similar to that came from Steve Rollins at soft top 67 has uh, the positives around, you know, community experience, classmates, bonding, some of the negatives uh, have to do around quality of coaching, very condensed schedule, overworking and increasing injury risk, poor level of play, taking significant time away from development environment. So, Right there um, is a, is a good in those two tweets is a good good kind of back and forth comparison. So we've been talking about today some of the the positives of scholastic soccer, building that community, building the lifetime value, and really you know trying to get clubs to understand that you got to go beyond transactional relationships, that you've got to build lifetime relationships, deep bonds. And what are some things that you're doing? That's not doing that. Right. And we're going to get back to kind of a little bit of a summary in a few minutes uh, of today and some things that we can look at some lessons, uh, some bullet points on the flip side. What are some things that high school or scholastic soccer is missing that club soccer has placed a value on? In other words, where are their weaknesses? We know about building community. We know about school pride. We know about lifetime value relationships. But where's some weakness? I think there's some weakness in a few key areas. First and foremost, I think what's, what, what Steve said in, in his assessment is, is spot on. The quality of coaching is... It's like winning, you know, uh, a scratch off. You don't know what you're going to get. You, if you're at one high school, you may have a great coach. You're at another high school. They may be a basketball coach that uh, got stuck with a soccer team. So there's a lot of variance in coaching quality. So sometimes it's hit or miss. Now, I think there's some things that that could be done to help that, to improve that. But the point is, that is a big variable. And for a lot of places, quality of coaching is not up to par of what it could be, and I think really should be, in 2019 for schools. Got a lot of low-quality soccer coaching going on. So I think that's I think that's definitely one area where I think you could you should see some you could you could and should see some improvement. Another thing that Steve pointed out, very condensed schedule, much like college soccer. One, two, three games in a week. Too much. I think one of the, the things about the sport of soccer that educators have severely screwed up with their lack of understanding the sport, and it shows in the way that they build the calendars. Sport of soccer is, from a, from a length of season standpoint, should be really kind of a marriage between American football on a week-to-week basis and a longevity of schedule on a baseball basis. Here's what I mean by that. On a week-to-week basis, you should be playing one, no more than two games in a week. 
But in order to get enough matches in and to have enough development time, the overall calendar should be longer. So instead of eight weeks, 12 weeks, 16 weeks, we should be seeing something that's spread out over six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 months rather than two or three. So educators to me have really put soccer both at the college level all the way down into the high school and middle school level in a box that it should not be in. And that is the overall calendar length of the season. And therefore you get fixture congestion and that fixture congestion leads to Steve's next point, which is overworking and increasing injury risk, which also contributes is as one factor into a poor level of play And it takes away an emphasis on development. If it's game, 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 you're never getting better. You're just playing a game. So it's giving enough time to get over. I mean, when we look at racers, do we expect them to go out and and run a marathon three, three times in four days? No, but we're asking soccer players to go out and run quite a bit, long distances, day in and day out. It's too much. And I think that is an area where where scholastic soccer could make some changes that would make a significant impact on the quality level. It would also make a significant impact on the the personnel that, that considers coaching because if it's instead of being a two or three month thing, now it's spread out over six months. And so now that coach is going to, they're going to have to love it too, more than likely, because they're going to be like, man, I really don't want to do that for six months. I'll do it for three and get my stipend and whatever. But for six months, uh, and so maybe that opens the door for somebody to come in and and take up that post. JB at Philomaniac said, I live in the town I grew up in. I see generations at games, old class, schoolmates, their parents, their kids. It's pretty awesome. I do wish that the school teams got more involved with the youth teams. Unfortunately, this is where egos get in the way. Generational relationships. Lifetime relationships. Community. Sheldon at app yourself at Sheldon AYS. My son's school has a soccer club where they just play for an hour after school. It has grown every year. Make time, make space, create an environment. Healthy things grow. Andrew Slater at R O O four one O. Or zero one three. It's the only quote free in quote soccer most kids get, and the season is far too short. In Pennsylvania, if a school doesn't make playoffs, there is only six weeks of games. Compare that to football, baseball, or basketball, where there is in most cases uh, an over two month regular season condensed schedule. This is what I'm talking about. When you look at scholastic sports, uh, that is a big, big issue. Um, And that is the condensed schedule. You know, it should be spread out like baseball and then having fewer games during a week, more like American football. Scott Edwards at Scott's journeys, high school soccer equals student athlete and I love that prior prioritization and the focus upon character development in high school soccer. These elements are largely lacking in US club soccer that I have seen. Again, when you're looking at these different aspects and these different elements, 
you find things in both. I, I, look, club soccer has a lot to learn and a lot of the areas they can get better at, and so does scholastic soccer. And, you know, when you're looking at, at both scenarios, it, it, you would be wise to, to learn about how can we improve our weaknesses? How can we get better in areas where we're just not quite good enough? We're not quite up to par. If you don't have people that are coming back to your club on their own, not because they have to give you money in a transactional value, but because they just want to be a part of your club, then you've got a community problem. You've got a relational problem. And then you've got to start asking questions. What do we need to do to get better in this area? And it means you're going to have to put in work that's not going to give you money right away. It means you're going to have to do things that don't directly give you a positive bump in your bank account. But that's part of building community. It's like the difference between a hooker and a wife. Both can give you a good time. One's going to be around a lot longer. The other one's done when you quit paying. And that's what's happened to American club soccer. We've turned all these relationships into transactional relationships. And we wonder why people walk away from the game. We wonder why parents don't volunteer. We wonder why when the kids get older, they don't come back. They don't feel a sense of loyalty or pride when they put on that jersey. When it comes to wear your favorite jersey to school day, it's why most of your kids aren't picking your jersey, their jersey. They're wearing uh, an American football jersey or they're wearing a club soccer jersey like a, like a Barcelona or a Liverpool jersey. And they're not wearing your jersey because you've not built that relationship with them. You're just a means to an end. So as we kind of wrap up this week and wrap up this show, um, what are some bullet points? What, what can we learn from each other? Where are some things that we can get better? And I think, I think here, here's a few things. If we're looking at the high schools, I think what, there's a few areas where they can get better. And here's some things they can do. They can expand the length of the seasons so that they're, they're not too short. By lengthening the overall length of a season, you can improve the over-congestion of the schedule, meaning two or three matches in a week. Get that down to one, maybe two every, you know, every week kind of thing instead of back-to-back days or three and four days or two and three days, that kind of thing. That's one area. So scheduling... Length of schedule, I think that's an area where scholastic soccer can improve. I think another area that they can improve is finding better coaches. Even if that means that you you go to a non-faculty to coach you. Find better coaching. Make it a priority at the school. If you're uh, if you're a, uh, have a kid at the school... Meet with your administration and say, look, we, we value the program here and we really would like to see someone that loves the game and is good at coaching the game, coaching our kids. What can we do to make sure that happens? Get involved. So as parents, you can get involved and, and contribute to the conversation. A lot of times, the administration don't even know, like, what is quality and, and how do I hire that? And, and what does that mean? And, and so it's not that they don't care. They just maybe not don't, don't really have a background to, to know what's good, what's bad, etc. So 
you know, improve the quality of coaching, find ways to help improve the quality of coaching and uh, lengthening the schedule. Those are two areas where I think that that scholastic soccer could definitely do a better job. I think another area is to work with your state athletic association to improve off season and preseason training. There are states where you can't do outside participation during the season. There are states where you can't even train with a ball until, you know, a couple weeks before your first game. There are, there are uh, states where there are rules in place where when you're in your offseason, you can only work with a handful of kids for like an hour or two a week. What if every day a coach either during their PE or after school could facilitate some training. Maybe small-sided games. Doesn't have to even necessarily be full-out soccer practice, but give them some more leniency in that area. I think that's an area where scholastic soccer could improve on the training side, the coaching side, as well as the conditioning and, and, and injury risk and injury prevention side on the fixture congestion. And I think all those areas would improve scholastic soccer. On the club soccer side, I think clubs have got to start to transition away from transactional relationships to lifetime relationships, to deep community bond relationships. So in order to do that, I think that clubs are going to have to reassess some key areas. One is how much are we charging today versus what, we could do over a lifetime? So that's one question I think you got to start to figure out. Another area is how can we do what we do to integrate and build relationships with our families? Rather than always asking from our families, how can we be with our families? So maybe that's building clubhouses, facilitating community so it may be events it may be facilities where we try to find ways to do that it could be things you offer a value during events like we're hosting a tournament if you're a member of our club you show your club card and you get in for free you don't pay or or have to park uh, with a with a with a parking fee, you get in for free. Maybe that's a value you provide to your parents to say, "Hey, thank you for being a part of our club." Other clubs are going to pay because they're coming in this weekend, but you don't have to. You're a part of our club. So, creating some lifetime value, some things that go beyond, "Hey, every time you come, we're asking something from you." Another area where I think clubs could do better is. Learning from scholastic soccer when it comes to representing your community. I think you're going to have to roll up your sleeves and do the dirty work and build relationships into parts of your community that are not represented in your club. And that may be going into the boys and girls club in the afternoon. It may be uh, getting some of your, your coaches to be big brothers or big sisters. It may be... Um, loading up three or four coaches and and going into some places and building relationships with families that are not going to come find you. You're going to have to go find them. But it's about being intentional on building those relationships. So I think there's areas that, that both um, scholastic soccer as well as club soccer can learn from each other. And, uh, and I think it's important that they do that because I think both areas could get better as a result. And, uh, and ultimately, that just makes our kids better. And if you watch the U.S. men's national team, we could use all the help we can get. Thanks for watching. 
As always, you can watch online live at 8 a.m. Eastern on Facebook.com forward slash WRKMN or at DanielWorkman.com. Catch me on Twitter or Instagram at DanielWorkman. Use the hashtag DWShow anytime to send us some thoughts, questions, comments, topics. Hit us up. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see everybody again on Monday. Have a great weekend.